Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler-free as possible. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I am apparently traveling so that the snow follows me because it has followed me from North Carolina to Michigan and back to North Carolina again, and I am not okay with this. I enjoy people who, in the depths of winter, are angry that it's winter. I mean, I'm just, I live in the South. I'm not used to this. That's fair. Like, when when we first got on the Zoom call, maybe I'll cut this out. Maybe it's funny. I don't know. And you, you immediately started complaining about the cold. The first thought I had was, this is the most Southern Mandy has ever sounded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I've definitely got that Southern thing going for me, especially whenever... It's really cold. Now, if it's going to be really cold and it snows, I guess I'm okay with that. But I think part of why I'm so bitter about it is because, so I went to Michigan last week and it snowed all day Monday, which sucked because it was the level of snow that like North Carolina would have shut down, like state of emergency kind of thing. And I had to drive in it. Um, <laughs> but I, I survived. They, they upgraded my rental car to an SUV. So I felt really safe. It was fine. But that's the only day it snowed. But the temperatures stayed so, so bitterly cold. Like, I'm talking well, well below freezing. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be that cold, it just, it needs to snow. Like, being that cold without snow is, like, useless. Uh, and I'm Caitlin. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And when I'm not talking about a discovery of witches, I'm... <sighs> Uh, I guess this week I was watching The Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. If you want a good, violent, sexy, humorous, fantasy animated show, you should do that. I haven't heard of that one. Okay. It's fabulous. I've been waiting years for it. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> it's based on a D&D campaign. Oh. Okay. That's intriguing. I've never played D&D, but I've always wanted to. These people like stream D&D online and I've been watching from the beginning. So this is just very exciting for me. Cool. Yes. So each week here, we'll recap the episode spoiler free ish. Mm. (laughs) We'll also include a segment at the end sometimes uh, to discuss the books, (laughs) (laughs) the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into spoilers there and throughout the episode. But don't worry, we... Probably won't give you plenty of warning before we get there. Episode four was written by Matt Evans and directed once again by Debs Patterson. And this episode was not nearly as lackluster as last week. I know, thank God. You know, it, it, we had some, some good things happen. Got babies. We did. We did end up with a couple babies at the end. I mean, okay, so all anybody needs to know about this episode is that the babies are born and Diana has all of the pages. Yes. And like end of story. That's it. That's all you need to know. Oh, and Galaglass is super sad. Oh, Galaglass. Almost all, like almost every other note that I have is, uh, brooding Galaglass. Oh, yeah. Brooding Galaglass. Oh, brooding Galaglass. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in. I actually really love the cold open of this episode. We open with Diana just casually sitting in bed surrounded by old historical books and new books. And she's just sitting there doing her not magic as if it's something that she's been doing her whole life. And it's just so nice. 
I also really loved this bit because and how they pan over like there's an ancient manuscript, which kind of represents her like academic life, her career. And then there's like a pregnancy book, her family Mm -hmm. life, you know, things there. And then she's sitting there doing magic, which is like her witch life. And I remember there was a good bit in the book where Diana was thinking or talking about, I forget how, you know, she had these three aspects of herself. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, when she had been in the 1590s, she was able to balance that all and live a good, like she had her family with Jack and um, Annie and, and Matthew. And then she had her witch life where she was training and stuff. And then she did all the alchemy stuff with um, her friend whose name completely escapes my mind. Mary. Something. Mary. Yes. Yes. Oh, everybody back then was named Mary, of course. <laughs> and how and how she had balanced that and had and, and really liked it and how she struggled with balancing it when she came back to the present. So I just like that they had that one really quick scene that really showed that part of all these these three aspects of herself that's important to her yeah yeah no it was it was beautiful it was the most I think comfortable we've seen Diana in the entire run of the show yeah and I I really enjoyed it and then we just get you know that whole she decides to get up and she goes downstairs and she bumps into everybody right like Gallo Glass of course is looking at her longingly and Fernando gives her coffee and Phoebe and Sarah are doing the the work looking for TJ Weston. And like, it's just, this is the house. This is what everybody's doing. They all play their part and we're just going to go through and like kind of touch on everybody. And it was, it was a nice cold open. I liked it. It was very nice. I would like to point out that, I mean, Fernando would have given her tea. It's Diana. She doesn't drink coffee. Fair enough. I am an American who just assumes a coffee cup is going to have coffee in it. She's also <laughs> pregnant and most pregnant people don't drink caffeine. It could have been decaf. It could have been, yes, yes, that's true. It could have been. I also think you're allowed, like, one cup. Like, you're allowed a certain... I know I have a friend who's like, I cannot give up at least one cup of coffee a day. Right? Yeah, she just... <laughs> um, and then we end on the note that Diana has uh, been looking for a locator spell to find TJ Weston. And Sarah says, well, wait, we can't do that alone. That requires a witch for every element. And that means they're going to need to find a coven of witches to help them. So I like this, obviously, because this show is called Discovery of Witches. And we need some more witches in it. Like just in general, more witches. Right? Besides uh, just Diana and Sarah. Yeah. And I get that like the main plot of the book is vampire uh, heavy. Just because mm-hmm. of Matthew and his family always being there. But there were just a lot more witches and of the witch side of things in the book, and I miss it. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I hate that the the most the witch with the most screen time after Diana and Sarah is Peter Knox, and I hate that. And well, and a little set too. Yeah, but I don't like her either, except when she's throwing Peter Knox on his ass. So. I think she's more interesting than Peter Knox, at least. That's fair. After we come back from the opening credits, uh, we have a quick scene with Fernando and Gallo Glass, where Fernando is trying to convince him that it is time for him to stop pining for Diana and get on with his own life. Yeah. And I am not sure how I feel about it. Like, I get it because he he sees that Gallo Glass is unhappy because he's longing for something he can never have. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I believe that Gallo Glass should be a valuable member of this family and can get over it and, like, still be happy. 
mm-hmm. and still be a part of the family. Like, he doesn't have to leave. Did Fernando tell him to leave? Kind of. He didn't say you should leave, but he said it's time for you to get on with your own life. Oh, um, okay. And that you can't, you can't stay with Diana forever. Well, maybe what he was saying. Maybe his thinking was that Galaglass just never would be able to move on unless he distanced himself from Diana a bit. Because Diana, I mean, Galaglass has spent almost all of Diana's life watching her. That's true. That is true. So, I don't know. It's just... He had so many other years, though. Like, maybe this is what bothers me about it. And this is the logical side of me rearing its ugly head versus the romantic side of me. Yeah. Because the romantic side of me is like, yes, Diana and Matthew, I know they're only going to have 50 years together, but they're like my total OTP and I love it. (laughs) And then I look at Galaglass and I'm like, he's only been in love with Diana for like 30 years and he's been alive for centuries. Like, get over it, dude. I do have a note here that says, um, oh, my God, my note thingy just like moved on its own. Sorry. Uh, I wrote down that I love that Galaglass smokes for some reason. Like, that's the stupidest thing. Um, but I love it. And then I just wrote down Galaglass angst. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of Galaglass angst in and this episode. So, but like to your point, I think it's fucking hilarious that we see all these male vampires with all this broody, broody angst, like we are going to see some brooding vampires this episode. You know mm. who never broods? Miriam. You know who's had a lot of shit in her life? Miriam. Miriam. You know who never broods? Isabeau. You know who's had a oh, lot of fucking yeah. shit in her life? Isabeau. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think all these male vampires need to be slapped in their faces <laughs> and told to get over it. <laughs> like, yeah. Or at the very least, just stop being dramatic about it like i know shit happens obviously even humans who live 80 years have trauma and shit but like don't (laughs) he's so broody this episode yeah Uh, on the flip side about this i will say when i was watching these episodes with uh this season with my sister she was just completely taken with galaglass she was like oh the unrequited love it hits me (laughs) and she just so I can understand why that like does really hit people, but whenever I, mean, I just Stephen Cree is beautiful when he broods. Yeah, no, as is um Matthew, who does some good brooding this episode too, and yeah. um N- New Baldwin has some has some good angst this episode too. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's short, but it's there. Yeah. I just like Miriam and Isabeau have lost their mates for cent. Well, Isabeau hasn't been centuries yet, but Miriam has, and they're just as. They've had just as much, like, when you don't really dive into Isabeau's backstory in the show, but you you do in the books, and man, that is some shit. Yeah. But they're fine. Well, like, and you know what, though? We also get Fernando, and Fernando is largely fine and happy, and he lost his mate and got, like, banished from the family. The exception that proves the rule, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of brooding... We get a quick cut scene in New Orleans where Matthew is sitting on the porch brooding, yep, thinking about blood rage, and we get all of those little clips from previous episodes, and his eyes are so dark in this episode, they look black. Yeah, it's good. Um, because he's brooding. Another, another thing to my point, though, like last episode, 
What's-his-face Ransom would always be upstairs in the dark, brooding by himself, while his, like, second-in-command lady vampire friend, whose name escapes my mind, she was, like, out in the sun, working a job, looking fabulous, having a great time. Gwendolyn? Is her name Gwendolyn? No. No. Geraldine. Geraldine. You were right with the G. Okay. What are G names? Glass, Geraldine, Gerbert. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, that's a really quick brooding scene. I don't actually know why, like what the point of it is, except to just show us Broody Matthew, because then we immediately cut back to the lab. Well, he's brooding about blood rage. Yeah. Because all and the all the flashbacks and... Yeah. All the flashback scenes are sort of related to that and and yeah, the idea of passing it on to his kids. And I think I guess... it's supposed to put us into his frame of mind where that's what he's worried about. Like, he's not brooding like, oh, we didn't get an answer. I'm upset. He's brooding because he's worried about passing it on. Okay. Fair enough. I, I will allow it. Yeah. Then we go to the lab with Miriam and Chris. Matthew refuses to answer Miriam's phone calls, and she's pissed off about it. Um, and we learn that Chris has discovered that blood rage doesn't actually come from vampire DNA. It's from the human side. Yeah. Of mm. the DNA, which is a huge change from what they've thought. From something that already existed within Matthew. Or at least that's what that's why some people are carriers and mm-hmm. why some people have it yes. active. So that's interesting. I don't know what else to say about that without like diving into what the whole thing. So I guess we will revisit yeah. that in a later episode. <gasps> yeah. Uh, and so then Diana and everyone goes to visit Diana's old neighborhood. And I have this written down as time travel shenanigans. <laughs> the best of the shenanigans. Yeah. I love the spell that she does. And I love that, that Galaglass and Sarah can see it too. Yes. I love that they found like modern buildings that give the exact feel of the old ones. Mm-hmm. Which is great. In the book slash reality, the actual neighborhood nowadays looks nothing like what it did in the 1500s. So I just love that they found that and they were able to give that. Like, it looked great. Mm -hmm. And even before she did the spell, it felt kind of like being back on that old set, which I miss because it was such a great set. Yeah. Yeah. I I miss last season a little bit. Yeah. Which I knew I would. But uh, season two, even like season two is definitely the best season. Mm-hmm. Um, a witch suddenly appears. Yes. Welcome home, Diana Bishop. We've been expecting you. I wish we got so much more with these witches. I like. I absolutely understand why we couldn't. Time, not really important to the story. I'm sure if we actually had more, I'd be complaining about it like we were with New Orleans. So maybe I should just mm. not. But yeah. I just, I love them. They're great. I want more. I love that Diana's name has been passed down the coven since Goody also. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. And when they're walking in, uh, the witch's name, I have I have no idea. Uh, she says, life can be lonely for a witch without a community. And the camera, like, lingers on Sarah's face. Oh. But of course, they agree to help Diana. And then Sarah's immediately in her element. And I love that. Yeah. She's immediately, like, going, picking up the ingredients and is like, here, hold this, hold this, hold this. Yeah. I. I love that she finally gets to feel like not just like she's contributing in a way that, you know, she's just a body making food, but in a way that she actually gets to use her skills mm-hmm. and her knowledge base and all that sort of thing. And I've, I'm just so happy for Sarah. Especially coming on the heels of last week. 
yeah. where she almost left. So it's it is nice to see that this was definitely a more Sarah heavy episode. Yes, which is great. I I love Sarah and I love Alex Kingston. So, mm-hmm. and then I think we switch over to uh the 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 Venice. Yep, Gerber is having a party. Now, answer me this: with Satu being at the party, are they breaking the covenant? Oh, that's a good question. Because there's nothing Caitlin hates more in this world than a motherfucking hypocrite. <laughs> Yeah, so like my note is Jer Bear is having a party and Satu is there. Why? Yep. Why? Like Baldwin's not there. Yep. Peter not well, Peter Knox isn't on the congregation anymore, but like nobody else is there. So like Well, what's his face is there? Domenico. Yeah, but that's because he's Jer Bear's lackey. <sighs> I don't know. It's it is weird. And maybe I mean, yeah, they're not supposed to like mingle. So maybe they are breaking the covenant. But we already know Jer Bear's a hypocrite. He only cares about doing things that serve him. I mean, this is true of everyone in this room. Um, yes. I, well, everyone with a name. I don't know about the other people. <laughs> the poor no-name humans that yeah. we don't know anything about. I love that Domenico and Benjamin talk. Like, that's wild to me. Uh, <laughs> and that Domenico is just there, like, collecting all the information, as he does. And then Satu... Talking to Gerbert, I just, oh my God, she is the most blind person in the whole world. Not like physically, obviously. I I just continue to be, it, it, it blows my mind how she has decided that she is the most powerful witch. Mm-hmm. Like the prophecy is about her. She's going to do the important things. Meanwhile, like all this weird, like, like, it's just so obviously, Diane, like, maybe Satu has just never read a book, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like the time travel, the pregnancy, the romance with the vampire, like Diana is just even from an outside perspective, Diana is very obviously the main character, you know, right. And Satu is just like, no, it's me. <laughs> right. And like, Satu hasn't done anything with her power yet. Like. And she still, for some reason, she still believes that Diana doesn't know how to use her power. And I'm I'm just like, but the congregation is worried about Diana and you're on the congregation. So why don't you know these things? And like she knows that before Diana was trained, she could time travel. And right. as far as we know, Satu still cannot time travel. Right. Like it, it's, I, I'm... Like, I, I do buy it. I'm not saying this is bad writing. I, I 100% buy that Satu is just the type of person who thinks that she is important. Mm-hmm. I'm just flabbergasted that there's so much evidence to the contrary, in, including yeah. people just talking about Diana. Well, anyway, then Gerber tells her to lighten up and just have a good time. And I'm like, that is the weirdest thing to say. Like, why did you invite her to this party if you didn't want to talk shop? Like, are you seriously just wanting to be friends? No, I think he's trying to keep her off balance. Like, because what he actually says is really underhanding. Like, I like the line. He says, it must be so exhausting being you. Yeah. And I I think he's just trying to undermine her confidence so that he can, like, get slash maintain power over her. I guess, yeah, he wants to use her the way Knox was trying to use her. Right. And the same way Benjamin is trying to, right? Because he immediately goads Satu. As soon as they start talking, he's like, oh, maybe you're just not strong enough. And I'm like, really? 
that's where we're going. Yeah. And, of course, Satu doubles down that she's the witch from the prophecy when she's talking to Benjamin, too. Why would you want to be? I, I don't understand. Anyways. Like, it seems a weird thing to have a... to hear a prophecy that's like you know a witch will destroy the children of the night which presumably people interpret as meaning vampires and then her being with a whole bunch of vampires saying yeah that's me and not expecting them to kill you right like it just seems very counterintuitive to her own self-preservation she's arrogant enough to believe that she's untouchable that if she's the witch from the prophecy then they can't kill her because she's gonna kill them and she also thinks she's very, very powerful and probably doesn't think much of these vampires. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. And I like getting this look into her mind. She's an intense person. Yeah. I really like television shows, Satu. She's so much more interesting than books, Satu. She is. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and then we switch back to the coven and we get them doing a spell with some salt. And really it's, cool locator spell. Yes, it is very cool. And I've just been like missing cool magic-y stuff. Yeah, the visuals of this are really good with the salt turning into the buildings and like exploding out into like the big map and then exploding in and in and in until they get to the house. Yeah. Like I love it. It's really cool. Uh, my, I wrote down like I don't know if you like used a bunch of salt to make a house that I like that would mean nothing to me. And then... And then, like, immediately after I wrote that down, Diana opened the envelope with the coordinates, and I was like, ah, never mind. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I was like, like, one house in all of England? Yeah. Like, how do you find a house based on just a momentary glimpse? But it did give her coordinates, so. And then we're quickly back to New Orleans, I think. We are, and we get our first glimpse of the cradles Matthew has built. Matthew and Jack. Yes, Matthew and Jack. Jack is oiling them down while, like, Matthew and Marcus and Ransom and Geraldine are just chilling on the porch. Yeah, everyone's friends now. And uh, it's funny. The first time I watched this, I thought Miriam showed up unexpectedly. But I realized rewatching it today, I think Ransom asks, so who is this friend who's coming? Yeah. And then Miriam shows up. And I was like, okay, they did actually know she was coming. Yeah. But and, the way that she arrives, it... She's just so not no nonsense. Like, I need to talk to you. And she walks in the house. I'm like, oh, he wouldn't answer the phone. So she came to him. Okay. I mean, that's probably what it is. She probably just told Marcus that that was happening. Because oh, Marcus. Yeah, because Marcus would answer the phone. Mar- yeah, Marcus would answer the phone. Yeah. So, yeah, she tells him the big revelation with the DNA. Yeah. And the only thing really important here is that probably no cure for blood rage. Right. And that Matthew needs to go home, obviously. Yeah. Back to England, to this mysterious house that was made out of salt. <laughs> luckily, I like this. Luckily, it's not it's made out of salt. Right. Um, I like this moment. As they're walking in, Diana gives Sarah a spell. Yeah. Um, just in case she needs to protect herself because they don't know who this TJ Weston is. Um, so I like that moment. I like it. And she also kind of poo-poos the vampires and Gallo Glass like looks back at her and gives her this great look. It, it's a good moment all around and really just shows like the camaraderie the group mm-hmm. has developed. Yeah. They struggle. Um, no one answers the door, but Gallo Glass, the vampire with superhuman hearing, knows that someone's home because he can hear his heartbeat and it's like racing. So naturally, 
to get to the man who's in distress, he thinks the best course of action is to kick the door in. Yeah. Because that's going to help. <laughs> and luckily, Diana is a little bit smarter and is like, no, let's look at this other door over here that, hey, it's open. We can just go in. Yeah. That was the most witch first vampire thing. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Um, and the man, he's utterly t- terrified. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I didn't look up his name, the actor's name, but he plays this character so well. He does. And I really like, like, it's it's pretty different than how they did him in the book. Mm-hmm. But I really like that they've showed the, the, like, mental illness struggles that demons have been having. Because we've mm-hmm. been hearing about it a lot. But we have, but all the demons we know in the show are fine. Right. So I really do like that we, with T.J. Weston here, we see his struggles uh, and his isolation. Because I feel like back in season one, Nate was, you know, trying to meet up with other demons. And they said that that wasn't actually allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it's nice, not nice, because his life looks really difficult. But to see this isolation and how he's kind of slowly, uh, like, getting worse yeah Yeah. deteriorating thank you and just sort of drives home that there's more problems going on than the witch and vampire drama right like they're it's it's a great way to illustrate the thing that agatha talks about and she uses when in the future when she comes later in the episode when she comes and talks to timothy she talks about how we need to show the congregation that we matter and it's a perfect example of how the congregation and the world has forgotten about demons. Like, it's just vampires and witches are important. Yeah. Um, so this was a really good visual for that. Um, I do love that he takes control of the situation and is like, I won't talk to you if there's a vampire in my house. Yep. And makes Gallo Glass leave. Um, and then I really like how we cut to the next scene where he's made them tea and he's just sitting there playing the piano and, like, Sarah's looking around like, okay, now we came here for a reason. Um, yeah. We need to be figuring this out like this is stupid why are we sitting here and yeah but I enjoyed that it is good but Diana quickly figures out that he's not going to give it to them and they're not going to get it without damaging him more so she's just like well let's leave because we're not evil yeah no it breaks my heart because he says the page is made from the skin of his ancestors yes and so having it makes him feel less alone yeah and that is heartbreaking Diana decides to leave. You know, she's Sarah shocked because they need it. Gallo Glass is shocked. He's like, let me go talk to him. And she's like, no, we're not the congregation. We can't force him, mm-hmm. which, of course, offends Gallo Glass because he's like, is that really what you think of me? And he takes this opportunity to tell her that he's been watching over her her whole life. And um, even though he doesn't come out and say it, this is the moment where she discovers that he loves her. I like that. That was I wrote down. Diana figures out that he like likes her. Like because, likes her. Because I'm a juvenile. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. Speaking of things that I love, oh my God, we cut to New Orleans. Uh huh. Miriam's hair is down and her hair is amazing. Oh, see, I was in love with her shirt in this episode. She ah. has an amazing shirt. She just she looks fabulous. She, like she looks completely fabulous. head to toe. But her hair, it's so long and beautiful. And she's got it pulled back away from her face with these braids going down the back. And she's got these little silver trinkets in it. And I'm just like, I love that hair. My yes. hair will never be that long. Like I want it to be, but it like is physically incapable of growing that long. Mine too. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's fantastic. And this is a great Miriam scene too. So Yes. She calls the broody vampires out on their broody shit. She absolutely does. And she she has the best walking away line. Like she she gets up and she walks away from Matthew after mm-hmm. she's been trying to convince Matthew to go home. And she says, going home without a cure doesn't mean you failed as a father, mm-hmm. but it will if you choose to stay here. And then she walks out. Yeah. And it's beautiful because there aren't very many people who would say something like that to Matthew. Yeah, but Miriam was always. Absolutely. Yeah. Miriam has always been the one who would. But but to also just do it and like drop the mic and walk out. Yes. Loved it. This is this is actually something that I've always loved about Miriam's presence in the story, that because she's outside of the family, she's always been Matthew's equal. Mm, yeah. You know, like while everyone else has complex family dynamics, she she will just slap Matthew if he needs to be slapped. Yeah, 100 percent. And then I think we cut to like Baldwin on the congregation island getting a phone call from Matthew and he has like that classic ring on his cell phone and like what a douchey thing like come on nobody actually has that oh that's funny (laughs) yeah my notes are just Matthew calls Baldwin and then Diana goes to see Agatha like that's all I wrote down about this section um I have a line before the Agatha one that just says so much broody gallow glass this episode so we must have gotten a shot of broody gallow glass in there yeah because gallow glass and Sarah drop her off and that's when she gets out of the car and she like leans over to Gallo Glass and is like, I'm so glad you told me. And oh, then he yes. off. Yeah, no, that that's where that came from. I'm like, Diana, really? Really? Like that's just kind of rubbing salt in the wound a little bit, don't you think? Maybe she thought she was being nice. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure she did. Like, I'm sure there was no no ill will whatsoever. She loves him. She adores him as a friend. Yeah. Um, and she thinks she's being kind, but I just see it as rubbing salt in the wound. I don't know. In situations like this, I think I think it's kind of like it's not Diana's responsibility to sugarcoat things or to tiptoe around gallow glass. I don't know. Yeah. Like obviously don't be a jerk about it, but this is this is a gallow glass problem, I feel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. If he were still alive, it would maybe also be a fleet problem for, you know, making Gallo Glass watch her her whole life. But, yeah. I can imagine if Philippe were still alive, Diana would have been pissed and would have gone to Philippe and yelled yeah. at him. Yeah. But they can't. So she's just like, I'm so sorry Philippe did that. Yeah. So I really love that they brought Agatha into this. Absolutely. It's just another way to bring home, like, all the things that she's been talking about and all the problems with the demons and everything. And I love this opportunity to really... uh to really showcase the, the, the three different species and, and their problems and how all the problems mm-hmm. are related. And it puts it on screen in a really good way. And I think this was kind of a really good writing idea for the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we dive in deeper with Diana and Agatha, there is a quick scene with Peter Knox, Ugh. who has completely descended into a madman. He goes to the coven looking, he's like followed Diana's power to the coven. And my note here is he's a madman full of desperation. And I have to say, the actor nailed it. Yes. Like, he he has nothing left to lose at this point. And so he's just, like, there's no niceties. There's no nothing. He's just, he he needs to find what he wants. And he's going to do it. Like and whatever he's, he he's so unhinged in this scene. Oh, he, uh, unhinged is a fantastic word. Yes. yes. 
great. Yes. I also I'm, enjoy the Lady Witch. Does she have a name? Anyways, um, I love I love that she mentions being a part of Hubbard's flock mm-hmm. because his flock not getting hurt was something that Hubbard asked about just last episode. And yeah. here she is getting hurt. And I just like that they kind of brought that all together. That was good, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Unfortunately, Peter is able to see the remnants of Diana's spell and figure out where she went. I just, everything about this scene makes me hate Knox more. And I just didn't think it was possible. I know. Like, every time I think I hate him as much as it is possible to hate a fictional person, he finds a way, he digs it deeper. I I, I don't know. But I, yeah. just, I don't know if that's the writing or the actor, but... That or both, I don't know. They bring it together, and I hate him even more. Yeah, yeah. No, this is like peak bad knocks. And then Diana and oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, as a complete aside, you know how we're always talking about how fabulous Agatha looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was talking to a friend about this, and they said, "Well, she was a fashion designer in the book," and I have no memory of that whatsoever. But I love if that's the reason why she always looks so fabulous that they're. Hinting you know, that being a fashion sense. designer, yeah. Because when she answered the door for Diana and she had the papers and everything, yeah. I was thinking that there was like a fabric swatch on yeah. one of her papers. So even though I don't think they've explicitly said it, they've kept that. That's, I, that's I, great. I have absolutely no memory of that from the book, but I guess it stuck out for someone I know. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they go see Timothy. I love that Diana went and got Agatha to yes. go see Timothy. And he does give them the page this time. Um, I also love that it was just sitting in a sheet, like a stack of loose leaf papers on a table. But also that he knew exactly where it was. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I like the idea that it's a mess, but it's an organized to him mess. Yeah. The scene, ha- there's a couple things in this scene that I like. One, mm-hmm. he really did know who Diana was. Yeah. Like he recognizes that she is the one from the prophecy who's going to fix things. Um, but he just wasn't ready. Yeah. When she came the first time. And I think having Agatha there really did help a lot. Agatha telling him that he's not alone anymore mm-hmm. is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I really love, like, this is jumping ahead of it, but after they bring Diana back to the house, Agatha comes right back to him. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it shows that she wasn't just there to get the page to, you know, tell him this crap. So that he would give them the page and then she was going to forget about him. Right. Well, and that's even what he said to her, right? Yeah. He's like, you have what you came for. You don't have to pretend anymore. And she's like, I'm not pretending. Yeah. And then she does immediately go back. And that's, it. it is, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he is a tragic character. I know. Fucking, fucking, fucking Knox. Oh, the fudge. Okay, we're not there yet. That's fine. But still, I'm... I love Agatha. She's the best. She genuinely might be my favorite character in this whole series. Some, sometimes, definitely. Sometimes, yeah, it, it changes from day yeah. to day. <laughs> but as they're leaving, Diana goes into labor. The babies are coming. The babies are coming. She literally says, I think they're coming in the most dramatic. That was the stupidest part. I'm sorry. I hated that line. <laughs> I hated the delivery of it. I hated how fucking dramatic it was. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't. I. <laughs> it was terrible. Sorry. So I have a question for you. Okay. Maybe I have an answer. Maybe. So the next scene is Baldwin and Matthew meeting after the Mm -hmm. phone call. Mm -hmm. That scene looks very much to me like it's taking place in New Orleans. Oh, I don't think so. 
I think but, Matthew's, Matthew must be back because he makes it back to the house almost right. So that's that's that. the next thing is directly after that he does end up back at the house. So I where are they? So in the bit of Wales that they used to film New Orleans, they just like went over twenty feet. That's probably why. <laughs> Uh, okay. No, I don't, they're under a tree. I don't know. I mean, okay. Are there trees in England that have Spanish moss on them? I don't have an answer for you. Okay. That's why it looked very, because my note is Baldwin went to New Orleans. That's interesting. But then the next scene, you know, they call Matthew and it's like, how, how, how close are you? And Matthew's like, we're on our way. And then I'm like, oh shit. No, they're in England. Yeah. So it just, it was confusing to me. That's all. They must've been in England because they make it back to the house and... Like, it's a five-hour flight from North. Then why would you fly from Venice to New Orleans and then back to France or England or something like that? Just so. Yeah, that you're right. That all makes sense. It's just visually, it looked like New Orleans, and I was confused. So. I think that's probably just a, a consequence of them having to film New Orleans and Wales. Okay. I don't know why Matthew and Baldwin decided to meet under a tree. They could have met at a coffee shop, one of their houses. Don't know. Well... I can understand why they would have wanted to do neutral ter- territory and not go to one of their houses. Right, but it didn't need to be under a tree. Well, maybe they thought they might have to punch each other, so they didn't want to do a coffee shop. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, especially since Baldwin refused to support the Scion. And I actually really like how this conversation goes because, uh, okay, well, first of all, Baldwin pointing out that Diana's going to die is really, really shitty of him. Um, I mean, I get that it's just a truth, but it's still pretty shitty of him. Yeah. And then he asks what it was like to see Philippe again. And after Matthew answers, because you can kind of see that they're, you, you can see them having some affection for each other mm-hmm. in that conversation where they're talking about Philippe and stuff. And like they have centuries, if not millennia of history. So they must have some family affection for each other. I mean, they do obviously have read the books, but you know what I mean? Um, right, right, yeah. But as soon as he uh, as soon as Matthew starts talking about Philippe, you can see Baldwin's jealousy. And I yeah. like how they did that. And then immediately Baldwin's like, nope. And he's gone. Yep. And I thought they did a good job. Absolutely. Definitely. And then we're back at the house for the birth. Yes. And the best line in the whole episode is here from Sarah. The babies don't read books. No, no but that's a good one, too. Oh, I like that one. That one's from the book. And I really like it because it's it's just very Sarah, I feel. Sorry, what's yeah. yours? I know the vampires have arrived to save the day, but we oh. were getting along perfectly fine without you. Yes, that's a bit later. I Okay, so one thing that I do want to mention is Sarah being a midwife and like being super involved in the birth and obviously even more reason that that scene with her trying to leave last week makes no sense. Right. But she's here. Yes. And it's, it's wonderful. I love that she's with her the entire time, helping her. Yes. With the pain, putting stuff in the water, and just just being who she is and who she needs to be for Diana. It's fantastic. The way that they do this really shows how the group is just a good, like, family unit. Because mm-hmm. everyone's there and everyone's excited, and it, it's just a really good scene, I think. I hate yeah. that Isabel wasn't there. Like, I hate Yeah, it. at least she was on the phone when um, Philip was born. Yes. I got to hear that part. So. That's true. But like she was, she and Mark, I think, were there in the book. Yeah. And I, I I love how Isabeau in the books and, and in the show a bit is just immediately like, I'm a grandma now. That's the only thing that matters to me. Right. <laughs> I yeah. have babies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sad that we didn't get to see her there. But I I get that they, 
like that would have been a very full house. There was already a lot of characters and a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And they still had found time to cut away to Birdie Yellow Glass, which was very on par for this episode. Yes, but at least they found a way to have Isabeau be a part of it and have yes. her in the episode, even if it was just momentarily. Yes. Um, my thoughts about this bit are, one, I can't imagine ever having twins because you go through all this work to have one baby. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there and they're holding her and it's beautiful. And then, oh, shit, she has to do it all over again and pop out another child. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing that I always personally think about pregnancy and birth. No. But like, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. But like, even if I wanted kids, which I don't, thank God, I don't like I can't imagine because you don't have a choice. Right. You know, yeah. and I just I mean, I guess nowadays a lot of women do kind of choose to do a C-section, but it just looks it just looks terrible. And I don't want it. No, I don't for want me it personally. Yeah. Um, my next note is they're sitting on the floor holding the babies. I'm sorry. I would be in a comfy bed after all of that. Yeah, that is kind of strange, actually. Now that you think like I assume they're at least Diana's on a bunch of pillows and stuff because. I mean, it's totally on brand for the two of them to sit on the floor by the bed because they've been doing that since season one. But yes, like she just gave birth. Like the thing she's like, it, no, be in the bed, please. Yeah, just lie down. <laughs> Take a break. You can still hold your baby. Just be in the bed. Yeah. That's all. Also, we get like one brief moment where Marcus and Phoebe are reunited and they have a good smooch. Mm, yeah, they do. I like how we get to see this is actually the way they did this whole like final sequence in the house is mm-hmm. beautiful because yes. you get brooding gallo glass in the background of all of these scenes. Yeah. Marcus and Phoebe are kissing and gallo glass is like drinking his liquor down the hallway. Yeah. Right. Because he's just said, well, Matthew's never going to leave her side now. And um, and then we get Matthew holding the baby up at the window and Gallo Glass is on his motorcycle because he's leaving. And so we can see him through the window. Like, it's just broody Gallo Glass is everywhere. Yeah. And That's then he it. fucking leaves. He didn't see the babies. He didn't say goodbye. He just decides to leave. And I do not like that. I'm okay with it because what I because of what I was saying before that this is Gallo Glass's problem and if that's how he has to deal with it that's how he has to deal with it like is it shitty that he didn't go and meet the babies yes but I also wouldn't have wanted him to go up there all broody and ruin the moment so if he didn't think okay he, that's that's fair if he didn't think he could do it without ruining the moment it's good that he just left okay yeah I'll give you that but I just think it's shitty that he just left like yeah I don't know, leave for a day or two and then come back and then say goodbye. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. Losing a friend sucks. That's it, all. Yeah. Especially when they've been together like every day. Yeah. You know, then we get to end the episode on a really uplifting note because Agatha goes back to see Timothy. Oh, geez. And this scene just piles on top of the Peter Knox hate, even though Peter Knox is not actually in the scene. Yeah. He's already been here and left, but he has performed some sort of ritual to find Diana and the page that cost Timothy his life in a violent and painful way. And this is so tragic because he didn't even like outright kill him. He left him there to die all alone slowly. Mm-hmm. Like and painful. I mean, cause Agatha gets there and he's screaming. Yeah. And it's just, and that was exactly what he was afraid of basically. Yeah. And it's tragic. And I 
fucking hate Knox. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But Agatha is so beautiful here. Yeah. She immediately runs to him, holds his hand, touches his face, and says, I am here. You are not alone. Yeah. And Timothy dies, but he didn't die alone. Yeah, thank God. And so at least his final moment, like his final, final moment, wasn't one of peace, but at least... It wasn't as bad as it was about to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's just God, fucking Peter Knox. I hate that man. I want to burn him. Yeah. I don't know why that specifically, but that's that's what I want. I want to light him on fire. Hang I don't. I don't think I could ever walk by this actor in real life without <laughs> like a deep visceral hatred. Like yeah. even from before, from Game of Thrones, I fucking hated him. But now with Peter Knox, I'm just like, die. He has that kind of face. He has the face. That's why he's always cast. Probably. Yeah. I'm sure in real life, he's perfectly nice. Like I've never heard a bad thing about him. A great guy, but I can't. It's too much. I know. He's very good at what he does. Yeah. Villains. Villains gonna villain, I guess. I don't know. Yep. <sighs> and I guess that's sort of the episode. The um the song that plays during the birth scene is All Through the Night, uh, originally by Cindy Lauper. This version is by Sleeping at Last. And then we get a version at the end here of Where Is My Mind, which is originally by the Pixies, but I could not find who does this version. Okay. I liked the songs um mm -hmm. they sounded familiar but i couldn't place them and my phone wasn't picking up the what song is this so it could tell me yeah um where is my mind is like uh, there's a couple bars in the version in the episode that kind of rem that reminds me hugely of a coldplay song so at first i thought it was coldplay and i was like oh i'm not a coldplay <laughs> fan and also i just don't think coldplay would sort of fit with the feel that they go with but then Whereas my mm -hmm. mind started playing. So that's got it. Which is a great song. I love that song. Uh, I have nothing else to say about the music. It's a me thing. It is. Well, do you have any favorite favorite moments? I mean, we already talked about my favorite lines. They tended to be Sarah's mm -hmm. in this episode, actually, except for the, the cold open was just beautiful. This episode, so like, not a lot happened in this episode, but it's not like it was last episode. Like, this was an important episode because we have the page and the babies came, right? Those are the two big I was going to say, I enjoy how you say not a lot happened in this episode. And I'm like, well, they found the last page and the babies are born. So I think actually kind of a lot happened. Right. And also we found out that, that blood rage can't be cured. And <laughs> like there's, there's a okay, fair enough. plot in this episode. It does move. It, it does a lot of heavy lifting to move the plot forward, but it does it in a way where so many other things are going on too. Like, it's, it's a big world-building episode, mm -hmm. like, with Timothy and showing us what's going on with the demons and all of that stuff. So I just, I like it. It's, I mean, episode two is still my favorite, mm -hmm. but this one, this is a good episode. I, my favorite bit in this episode is just after the babies are born, when everyone is celebrating. I, I really just love everyone being together and being a family. That, that's my favorite. That's my shit, you know? Yeah, it's good. Hundred yeah. percent good. Yeah, I don't think I have any el anything else to say really. I mean, adaptively, we already know that they've changed so much from the book that it's it's hard to go in and nitpick about it. But I think that the choices that they've made work for the show. Yeah, and a lot I like. They have obviously made a lot of changes, but still somehow 
things look how I pictured them in the book. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm like things are wrong. Right. Exactly. So that's I mean, TJ Weston was not murdered by Peter Knox in the book, but he was also a very different character in the book. And he knew he knew Diana from Oxford, sort of. Mm. Or from book one, I guess. So I have a vague memory of that. I really need to reread these books, but I want to be done with the show before I go back and do that. Yeah. In the books, you kind of get a, a glimpse of him in the library at the at beginning of book one. Mm-hmm. And I, they have a, well, he's there. And so then when Diana knocks on his door in book three, she's like, oh, it's you. And he's like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot more creatures in the books, especially when yes. she called up the book. Like, the library became creature central, and they, they took that out of the show. Yeah. Well, there was, there was like, a brief line I think somebody had where somebody said a lot of creatures in the library tonight. But, like, they didn't dive into it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually really liked the changes that they made with him. Because in the book, it really felt like, well, they just had to find a dude who had the page. And in this, they made it more on theme which I really mm-hmm. liked. All right, so we'd love to know what you think of season three so far. Tweet at us at DesireMadeReal, or you can email us at DesireMadeRealPod at gmail.com. And I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at EloquentGushing.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. Or you can just give me a shout out to commiserate about the really freezing cold weather on Twitter at Mandy K. Join us next week as we talk about episode five when Benjamin does bad things and there's going to be a christening. But more importantly, Isabeau meets the twins. Yay. (laughs) Until we meet again, remember that with every ending, 